Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message by our pastor, Douglas A. White. John chapter 17 comes one of my favorite passages of Scripture, because this is Jesus praying. This is where we get some insights into what Jesus is like when he prays. And here he says he's not just praying for the people that were with him that night. He's praying for all of us who have believed in Jesus Christ because of them. They got to see him. They got to be around him. John writes what a blessing it was that they got to handle the word of truth. They got to observe it, not only observe, but examine it. They got to see him resurrected. They got to see all that. And he said, blessed are the ones who believe and have not seen. That's you, kids. That's you. You have believed but not seen. So you are a blessed people today. In John chapter 17, though, Jesus is praying. He knows this is his last night with the disciples. And he's tried to leave them as much instruction as he could. He's trying to teach them the way of truth and how you're supposed to walk in the Lord and how, how, how to be fruitful. Well, now he's going to talk just to his father. So if he would, just a few verses here. John chapter 17, verse 1. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may also glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Isn't that a great passage of Scripture? I mean, that tells us so much about the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ gave up his glory to be here, and he gave it up to teach us. But now watch what he says. I want you to pick up on verse 3. And this is eternal life. What is eternal life? That we may know you and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Now, we've entitled a series that we're looking at in uh, Ezekiel as that I may know you, that they may know that I am the Lord, that they may know I am the Lord. And we've said that uh, that has been said by, in Ezekiel's book 63 times. For the actions, whatever action God was taking, 63 times he said, I am doing this that they may know I am the Lord, that they may know I am the Lord. Now, that's not just because people don't know him. They haven't figured out who he is yet, and he wants to give them some Encyclopedia Britannica information. No, it's so that they'll have eternal life. You see, to know God and to know Jesus Christ is to have eternal life. He's wanting people to have eternal life. So everything he's doing that we're going to read about in the book of Ezekiel, he was doing in order that people could know who he is. He wants to be known, and he wants people to have eternal life. So if you would, now we're going to go to Ezekiel chapter 36, all right? Ezekiel chapter 36. You say, you're saying this is part of the Revelation study. It is. John depends heavily on the books of Ezekiel, Daniel, and Jeremiah for the things that he writes. Here's what we know to be true. At the time that all these prophecies are going to be fulfilled, Israel has to be in the land. Israel has to be in the land. Now, get a hold of that. That means that all of prophecy is hinging on Israel being in the land. 
And if you've picked up on that so far, you've understood Israel is in the land. Yes. That's why you need to be excited. That's why all of us need to be looking up because any time. This thing's about to open up, guys. And it's not just enough that it should open up with something going on north of Israel. That's a big deal. That thing that's going on north of Israel, which is Ukraine, Russia, Turkey, all of that area, that's a big deal, kids, because that's an end-time prophecy thing that takes place after Israel is in the land again. From 136 to 1948, they were not in the land as a nation. Now, there's a period of time around uh, 1450, something like that, somewhere in there, that about 300 families moved. It was about the time that the Crusades had done their business and so forth. 300 of those families moved back to Israel with the idea in mind they were going to reestablish the nation. But the um, Muslims living in the kingdom at that time, that the Ottoman Empire, they weren't cruel to them. They just said, no, you're not getting a nation in the Ottoman Empire. <laughs> it's ours, and we're going to do this. They never got to make a nation of it. Starting in the late 1800s, there started to be a real move called Zionism to get everybody back in the land again. And that finally happened in 1948. What does that mean to you? It's not just history, kids. It means to you this. The prophecies that you're reading have a great chance of being fulfilled in your lifetime because Israel is in the state. Israel is in the nation. It is in the country. It isn't Ezekiel 36 in the country yet. It's Ezekiel 26 in the country yet. They're still going through judgment. He's going through that exercise with them when he says he's building a remnant. What I hope to be able to show you is the activities that he said he's going to do that people would know that he is the Lord is going to be the turning factor that's going to turn Israel to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's an issue we'll talk about, I think, in about two weeks. Kids, this is a vitally important book that you're looking at. You are getting to see what the promising God, the covenant-keeping God said come true. And you may sometimes be in a minority group because we do happen to believe that Israel's for real and that Israel being back in that land is prophetic fulfillment. We know that the, that the church has not replaced Israel. That's a crazy idea. I think we read about that this morning, that if you can figure out how big space is and if you can figure out the foundations of the earth, that's all you have to do, then I'll give up on Israel. But if you don't do it, don't even think for a minute, I'm giving up on Israel. And Romans 9, 10, and 11 indicate he's not giving up on Israel. He's not abandoning his people at all. And he hasn't abandoned, especially that the church should become Israel. That's just not true. And I know some may have been brought up with that theology, may have been brought up with that idea in mind. And some of our songs reflect that kind of thinking. We are Americans, and we know that the, many of the people who came to this country to set it up came here believing they were Israel, believing the church had replaced Israel, and they saw the United States, what, what was going to become the United States, they saw that new land as the new Canaan and themselves as a new conqueror. This was going to be the promised land. Guys, that wasn't true. 
they lived their lives as if that was true. But Israel wasn't in the land, and the church had not replaced Israel. So they started from two faulty understandings. Everybody with me? It's got nothing to do with whether it's a right thing or a wrong thing uh, as far as being in this country. It does have everything to do with that was not the right theology. So let's pick up today Ezekiel 36. Let's look at uh, verses, uh, well, yeah. Let's look at verses 1 and following. We'll look a little bit there. The first part of Ezekiel 36, he's speaking to the land. And what, what we've tried to share with you is this. Don't think that God doesn't like land. God loves land. He's the one that made the land. He's the one that called it very good. So when God calls a land very good, we ought to pay attention and say, that sounds very good, right? And he gave that land specifically to Israel. He gave lands, other lands, to all the other nations. But he gave this land specifically to Israel. Acts chapter 17 tells us he's the one that set up all the other nations. He's the one that set up their boundaries. He's the one that set up the time they would rise, the time they would fall. All of it in order that they might seek the Lord. But Israel, that little strip of land, God was going to use to bless people that they may know that he is the Lord. Everybody with me following you so far? Good enough. Let's pick up on 36 just for a few moments here. We're not going to read all of it. It says, And you, son of man, prophesy to the mountains of Israel. Notice, this is not the people, this is not the nation, it's the mountains of Israel. And say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because the enemy has said of you, Aha, the ancient heights have become our possession. Therefore prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord God. Because that they made you desolate and swallowed you up on every side, so that you became the possession of the rest of the nations, and you are taken up by the lips of the talkers and slandered by the people. Therefore, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains, the hills, the rivers, the valleys, the desolate wastes, wastes the cities that have been forsaken and which became plunder and mockery to the rest of the nations all around. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Surely I have spoken in my burning jealousy against the rest of the nations and against all Edom who gave my land to themselves as a possession with wholehearted joy and spiteful minds in order to plunder its open country. Therefore prophesy concerning the land of Israel and say to the mountains, the hills, the rivers, and the valleys, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I have spoken in my jealousy and my fury because you have borne the shame of the nations. He's going to, he's going to tell them, I'm going to bring back your land. I'm going to make it a rich, promising land. And I'm going to bring back people to be on it. Which people? My people. I'm going to bring them from the north. I'm going to bring them from the south. I'm going to bring them from the east. I'm going to bring them from the west. I'm giving a great call for my people to come home, and they are going to come home to this land. And when they are in this land, I'm going to bless you, mountains. I'm going to bless you, valleys. I'm going to bless you, waters, and you're going to prosper. That's the prophecy of the Lord. And Israel has to be in the land for that to take place. And you're living in a time when Israel is in the land. All right? Let's go on a little further because I've got some things I want to uh, share with you. To do this, I'm going to go to Jeremiah 31. It's, uh, he had said some great things in Ezekiel 36 about uh, what he's going to do with uh, replacing their heart. He's going to change the people. Now, if you would, 
uh, I'll, I'll, let me, I'll read some from uh, Ezekiel 36 just for a minute. He said, I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell on the land that I gave to your families. You shall be my people. I will be your God. That's Ezekiel 36, 26 and following. Here in Jeremiah 31, 31, listen to what he says. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And he goes on to say, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them. Stop. I want to go back to verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, I will make a new covenant. That's a new covenant in uh, Uh, view of the old covenant. By old covenant, he means the former covenant, the one that Moses made, the one they made at Sinai. That was a land covenant. Now, follow very carefully what we're going to say today, because this is important stuff. That was a land covenant. It was never about saving anybody. It didn't justify anybody. It couldn't justify anybody. It was about how to live in the land that I am giving you. It's how, as my wife, to live in this land and be the most productive you can possibly be. It's how to live as, so that all the nations know that I have married you and that you are my wife, and they will all know that I am the Lord. That's why he's doing it. Why does he want to do that? So that they can all come back home where they belong. They can all come back to the living and true God. Now, pick up with me on this one. <clears throat> it is for Israel and Judah not the nations. It's for Israel and Judah, not the nations. Look what he says here in Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. The first covenant was with house of Israel, house of Judah. The new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It's not with the nations. I'm going to repeat that again and again as I go through this, because it's not with the church. It's not with the nations. It is with Israel and Judah. And the church is wrong to believe that it's a new, the new covenant is for them. It is not. It is for Israel and Judah. And I'll show you why that's important as we work our way through it. One of the things it does, it reunites. I'm at letter B of no, under number five. It reunites the children of Jacob who have been divided since the days of Rehoboam the foolish. Houses of Israel and Judah. Remember, they, they divided up just after Solomon was king. The people said, you know, Solomon was a, a, good, a good boy. He sure raised a lot of good things. We've got a beautiful temple, got a lot of beautiful buildings. Jerusalem's a beautiful place, and silver and gold are, are... But, man, he taxed us something fierce. So we're wondering now, Rehoboam, since, uh, you know, you're the new king and, and you've got an opportunity here, you, you've got a pretty good life. Is there any reason to continue this taxation? This is really eating us up. And so the older one said, you know, Rebon, listen to them. They're telling you good stuff. Don't tax them. Just drop the taxes back. You've got a great lifestyle. You don't have to worry about how you're going to live. Just drop the taxes back. Hmm. So Rehoboam asked his young friends, okay, should I drop the tax? 
Young Fred said, You drop that tax? It's not party every night. And we're not going to get to have all the same things we got right now because there, there is, there's no income for it. I'd say, don't do it. Keep the tax. So Rehoboam went to him and said, you know, Dad did tax you a lot. And I'm going to tell you this. What Dad's little finger did is going to look like my thigh. I am going to tax you big time. I'm going to give you the roughest stuff you've ever seen. The ten tribes of the north said, what do we owe Judah? We don't owe you anything. And they separated into a separate nation. The ten of them got together. They formed their own nation. And in the south, Judah and Benjamin kept Jerusalem. Well, they, they didn't think that'd be a problem because everybody's supposed to return to Jerusalem once a year and, and worship there. But the ten tribes of the north said, we're not going back to Jerusalem again. So they built Samaria, a place where they could come and worship there every year. And they built the altar to Baal rather than to the living God. That ultimately wound up in splitting them up. Assyria came, and as Assyria came, they took those ten tribes of the north and spread them all over the world. We call them the ten lost tribes. But I think uh, Jeff saw the, uh, the documentary. Those ten lost tribes are not as lost as we thought they were. As a matter of fact, they are found, and, they know, and we know where they are. And they're looking forward to coming back. Isn't that exciting? Why is that exciting? Because he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to gather you from all the nations, and I'm going to bring you back to this land. I am going to make my covenant brand new with you when I've gathered you back. You have to be back in this land in order for me to make that new covenant. Now, let's look further. It reunites them. It is an internal covenant acted by the changing the nature of the covenanters. It's not external, requiring bent sinners to do what they cannot do with their own efforts. Pick up with me here in verse 32. He says, It won't be according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make in those days of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. Now, here's where life is going to get a little picky. It's better to read this in the Hebrew, though I'm confident few people are going to get to read it in Hebrew. I grant you that. Here's the deal. He said he's going to write his law in their hearts and minds. Kids, that's the word Torah. Torah. Torah doesn't mean simply law like we think of all the laws that are on our books here. Torah was instruction. I think I've got that later. I'll, I'll bring that up later. Torah was instruction. And what he's going to do, he's going to take the instruction of the Lord, which is usually those first five books, and he's going to write it in their hearts, write it in their minds so that they'll know the instruction of the Lord. Now, here's the deal. The instruction of the Lord starts in Genesis 1.1. It does not start in Exodus 19, where you see them all at the foot of Sinai waiting to hear what God says. That's not where Torah begins. Torah is all the history, all the instruction that came before that time. It starts at Genesis 1.1. It's about how the world came to be. It's about how sin came into the world. It's about how the world had to be destroyed by the flood and what caused that. It's about how the world needed to be dispersed 
It's about the world in confusion. It's about the world spread out all over the place. It's about God dividing up the children of Israel, or I'm sorry, the nations, according to the sons of God. It's about God doing something that was so peculiar, so new, that all the nations were going to get their own uh, instructors, if you would. Elohim. They're going to get their own B'nai Elohim, their own son of God that would be over each one of them, that would instruct them on how to come back home again, how to worship properly, how to do things properly. But those B'nai Elohim, those sons of God, rebelled against God and taught what they wanted to teach instead. That's all in Torah. The covenant is in Torah as well. But the covenant and Torah are not the same thing. Are you following me? He made a covenant with them that starts at Exodus 20. But it's not just complete all the way through the book of Deuteronomy. There's history in between there. There's a whole lot of conquered people that are in there. There's a whole lot about Rephidim, which is in there. It's all about lot giants. It's all about some conquering of nations. There's a whole lot of stuff that's in there that's not just covenant stuff. Are you with me? If I make a covenant with you, it's what I agree to do, what you agree to do. I'll do this, you do this. If I have to stop the covenant part way on and say, by the way, Korah got all upset and decided that Moses shouldn't be the leader of everything. So he drops in, does this dumb thing where he's going to rebel against things. And so I opened the ground and swallowed him up. End of story. All right, now back to the covenant. What I was telling you was, oh my goodness, Aaron and Miriam did the same thing. Now I got to tell you about that too. Okay, when Aaron and Miriam did that same thing, here's what I did with them. All right, are we done? Back to the covenant. And now we're back to the covenant. You follow where I'm at? So Torah incorporates far more, and we're supposed to learn from that. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that book is the Old Testament that's instructing us. It's our example. What do I learn from that? Well, Arian and Miriam, maybe it's not a good idea to take upon yourselves that you'll overthrow God. That can end up bad. Korah, maybe it's a good thing to understand when God appoints somebody to do something, that that's the one he's working through. You don't just figure out because you're his cousin that you can do the same thing. That could get you swallowed. There's a whole lot of things we're supposed to learn from that. You don't practice immorality because I can tell you what happens. Snakes seem to come out of nowhere. There's a lot of instruction that's in it. And he's writing that in their hearts and minds. But the covenant which is a separate thing in Torah, they broke it. It's all been broken. And because of that, he's making a new one. Kids, when you see how he made that new one, it is so exciting. Well, we'll get to it in a minute. All right, here we go. This covenant has changed the insides of people. In Deuteronomy 5.29, he said, after they had said, yeah, 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 we got it. We hear, we hear the 10. Just tell him, whatever it is, we'll do it. And God says to Moses, oh, there, I wish there was such a heart in them for that. They can't do what I'm saying. They'll not keep the 10. I'm going to go ahead and tell them how to live in that country, but I have no hope they'll keep it. For they don't have a heart for it. And since they don't have a heart for it, what do you have to do? Change the heart. Change the heart. 
And that's what he did. He took out of them that stony heart. Well, I should say he's going to take out of them the stony heart and put back in it a flesh heart that's living. He's going to take their spirit out and put his spirit in. Kids, does that sound kind of like being born again? Man, that's, that's just Romans 6 and Romans 8 all over again. It, that is what happened to you. He did take a stony heart out of you and put a new heart in you. But listen, Gentile friends, you never were under a covenant. That's what he points out in Ephesians chapter 2. We were alienated. We had no covenant, no promises, nothing. We didn't have God. But Jesus Christ has come, and now we have life. We've been forgiven. We are at peace with Almighty God. Hallelujah. Praise His name. That covenant they broke, so He's making a new covenant with them. You weren't under the first covenant, and you're not under the new one. Everybody with me on this? Let me show you. You are under Abraham's blessing and promise. That's what you're under. And God's done it the same way with you that he did in the new covenant. They're not mutually exclusive, kids, but it's not your covenant. That's my, my point. That's a big point I want to make. Now, I want you to note this, too. It is a land, letter D in this, it is a land seed blessing covenant honoring the Abrahamic promise. He promised Abraham that he would give him land. He promised Abraham there'd be a seed. He promised Abraham, I'm going to bless you. If whoever blesses you gets blessed, whoever curses you gets cursed, and I'm going to make you a blessing to all the nations. Your seed will bless all the nations. That was the Abrahamic promise. And this new covenant carries that out. It's about the land. In other words, this new covenant's not going to happen to some, some Jewish person living in United States. It's not going to happen to some Jewish person living in Ukraine. It's not going to happen to some Jewish person living in Central Europe or Burma. This is a new covenant that takes place in the land because the covenant is a land covenant. Everybody following me on that? All right. It is Torah made internal. The instruction of Torah is still relevant as it is the Torah that is written in their hearts. Now, Let's look here what he said in verse uh, 33. And this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, a lot of times Christians are asked, well, what's supposed to be our relationship to Torah? Kids, Christ completed the Torah. He finished the Torah. With his death, he ended Torah. Why do I say that? Romans chapter 7 teaches us that a woman is under uh, the law as long as she is married. If she uh, marries someone else while she's married, then she's counted to be an adulteress. However, if the, the lawgiver dies, then she's a widow and free to remarry. Everybody with me? Israel was under, like a, a, a wife, she was under the covenant to her husband. The only way, well, she, she committed adultery. So we have that part already taken care of. She was messing around with idols and all that other mess. And she, so she broke the covenant, but he didn't divorce her. 
as she now lives separate from him, that's what he did, kick her out of the house, go live with your lovers, and when, when the lovers get tired of you, they'll send you and you'll be coming running back home and said, hey, we had it better at home. And you will. He said, then I'm going to die. You see, that husband has to die so she can become a widow. And in order for her to remarry the right person, he needs to rise from the dead because it's still God that's going to have the new covenant. Are you with me? So Jesus dying ends the old covenant. Jesus raising again makes her free to marry the new covenant. So she's marrying Christ. So Christ is the mediator of that new covenant. He's the husband of that new covenant. Everybody see where we're at? So the father now can remarry her, and she can remarry in the, the land again because he set them free. He has to change their heart. That's what he's changing. Kids, I've, I've been so excited as I, I read about some of the things I see going on in Israel and some of the things that are ahead. It's, it's just, well, anyway. He's going to put Torah, all that instruction is inside them. Now, they're not having to figure out, well, is, is it okay to commit adultery? No, it's inside you. It's already inside your conscience. You don't have to go to the law and say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. All right, how, about, how about Clause 3B? Clause 3B seems to indicate that if she doesn't cook well, I think I could go ahead and divorce her. Yeah, I think that's what it means. Find some impurity. Yeah, that's it. Uncleanness. I tell you, this wife, ew. Noodles, she can't even do noodles. It's bad. And so that's unclean. There's some kind of spirit in her. That's it. She's got the spirit of unclean noodles in her. So I don't want to, I don't want to, so I can dump her. You follow where I'm at? They look for any claws they can get out. Now it's in their hearts. Can I share this with you? You don't have to be told what's right and wrong. He said, because my spirit's in you, you have no need of anyone to teach you for my anointing teaches you. You know when things are wrong and you're not supposed to do them. You don't have to have the Ten Commandments posted on your door to figure out that you're really not supposed to have any other gods before you. Right? Why? Because it's in you. It's in you. That's what it's going to be for Israel. Someday, they're not going to argue about the law because it's in them. They already know it. And that's what he's talking about, this new covenant. Boy, it's going to be a great time as far as he can see. See? What are you seeing is coming up. But now we come to something that's a little more um, uh, challenging. Are we supposed to be keeping Torah? Kids, he said that if you love your neighbor as yourself and you love God with your whole heart, you are keeping Torah. Listen. That's why I think it's critically important for us not to abandon creation for phony ideas about how we got here. God told us how we got here. We don't need phony, screwed-up ideas about how we got here. He already told us. Situation settled. Can we have discussions about it and, and arguments about it? Sure. But let me ask you, where's it going to wind up? Where does it finally take us? Listen, you have to have as much faith as I have to have as I believe in creation if you're going to believe in evolution. You're going to have to have even more faith than I got because you have no document that backs it up. 
I know what I got backing up creation. The inspired word of God. Inerrant, infallible. This is what God said happened. That is correct. Do I know all the details in it? Nope. Can I discover them? I suppose through science I can look and see if I can discover some things. But when it comes to origins, they're settled. I don't have that. I don't have a scientific way of reproducing that. I don't have a science that can take me back there. Everybody see what I'm at? That doesn't make you backward, kids. That doesn't make you uninformed. That makes you at least honest. You at least have some integrity to say, you guys haven't a clue what you're talking about here. You're guessing. And you're asking me to have faith with you that your guess is a good guess. It's a lousy guess. What is a good guess is that God knows what he's doing. All right. All right. So some of you can think it's backward to do that. I don't think so. Are we returning to Torah? Well, that, can't, that question came up in my mind because, see, I'm reading Ezekiel. That's a great book, isn't it? Look, go to Ezekiel 44 just for a moment, would you? I was reading along in Ezekiel here, and I think, oh, what? What did he just say? Ezekiel, pick up on verse 44. Verse 44 and verse 15. Now, I'm going to share with you, this is post-millennial. This is after the millennium's done. The new millennial temple has just been built. You know, you've you got a question, why do you have a new millennial temple? I'm just telling you what God said, he's going to have a new millennial temple. And in that temple, there's a whole bunch of employees. There's a whole bunch of people working there. So pick up with me at just verse 15 of 44. Ezekiel 44, 15. But the priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, who kept charge of my sanctuary, when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near me to minister to me. They shall stand before me to offer to me the fat and the blood, says the Lord God. They shall enter my sanctuary, and they shall come near my table to minister to me, and they shall keep my charge. And it shall be whenever they enter the gate of the inner court that they shall put on linen garments. Wait, 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 wait. The Levites? We've got Levites in the millennium? Why would we have to have Levites in the millennium? Wait a minute, we're, we're cutting fat and blood? Wait, why would we have to have that? Jesus paid it all, it's, it's all done, deal. And Levites are going to be dressed in a special way for this special service, and they're going to be offering sacrifices. What? Sacrifices? Why would we have to have sacrifices? This is a return to Torah. And then I read more closely. No, it's not a return to Torah. You don't dedicate the same things the same things the same way in the, there is no ark of the covenant in the new millennial temple. There is no holy of holies for the ark of the covenant in the new millennial temple. Why? Cuz the ark of the covenant is the covenant that's inside the ark of the covenant is already complete. That's not the covenant they're living in. They're living under the new covenant. Everybody follow me? So he's created a whole new system. It's not a return to Torah. It has some things that look like the old covenant, but when you read them more carefully, you realize, no, they didn't dedicate it the same way. They're not made the same way. So no, it is not a return to Torah. Torah is, comp- or a, a, not the return to the covenant. It's complete. 
it will be returned to Torah because it's the total instruction and history of the Lord. It's everything that he did on this planet. But the covenant, no, it will not be back in, inspired at that point. Understand, let's, let's go back and just understand the old covenant just for a little while. Let's look at a few things. So go to page two and let's take a look at that. As I've tried to share with you already, Torah means instruction, teaching, direction, guidance. And when it speaks of it as law, remember, words change over time. And what the law meant was it is the standard. It's the norm. This is the way, this is the way you're supposed to understand all things. We talk about the law of gravity, okay? Now, from what I can see, the law of gravity is still going to be in operation in a millennium. Because I don't hear of people floating around on the earth. They're just on the earth. And I realize that uh, people are traveling back and forth between um, the heavenly Jerusalem and the earth. But so are the angels now. Okay, So I don't see a great change in that. What we're seeing is this. That Torah, the instruction, is the norm. That's what we're supposed to understand. This is what we're supposed to understand about how the earth came to be. It's what we're supposed to understand about six days. It's about to understand why there's a seventh day of rest. About to understand why there was a sin and all that. That's what Torah was supposed to do. So Torah was instruction. So from the beginning, Torah was the instruction manual to correct people. Let me say it another way here. Israel had been living in Egypt for 400 years. And they had been living in Egypt without any instruction from the Lord. The last persons they knew that had any conversation with the Lord was Joseph. And that was 400 years earlier. So they have lived every day in a pagan culture. All right, let me say, uh, maybe pagan's not a good... Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and say pagan just for the sake of saying it. They were living in a pagan culture that's telling them every day how the world came to be. They're living in a culture every day that's telling them that when the Pharaoh goes for a walk through the temple, he's bringing the sun up. And when the Pharaoh goes talking from the mountaintop or from the top of a, a structure, he is speaking the words that bring all the stars out. The word. He was the son of God. They've been living in that pagan culture for 400 years without a word from the Lord. Matter of fact, Abraham apparently knows something about the Lord. There must have been some instruction time they had together because there's nothing we see in Abraham that shows where he got the instruction of the Lord. We know he didn't have a copy of the scroll. He's not got a pocket New Testament, not got a pocket Old Testament. It's not even been done yet. He knows something. He knows some information. He's learning something from the living God. They're not getting that 400 years later. They're not getting any of that. So if you're going to take them out of that pagan culture that's been influenced by Babylonian culture, that's been influenced by Akkadian culture, it's been influenced by Canaan culture, if you're going to take them out of that land, you better teach them some instruction about where it all came from or they're going to keep thinking Egyptian mythology is the way it goes. And you're going to take them out of that, that group and that theology, you're going to march them up into a country that is deep, steeped in some nasty pagan stuff. 
There's the Baals, the Asherahs, the, the, there's Marduk. There, there is all those idolatrous things living in that land. And if you don't give them instruction about how we really got here, if you don't give them instruction about how sin really did happen, if you don't give them instruction, they're going to fall victim to all the instruction they're going to hear to all the people they live there. Even with that instruction, they fell to all the stuff that was all around them. Are you seeing where we're coming from? He said, well, that's them. I said, kids, that's us. Let's just take that little thing, and if you don't mind, I'm going to put a rocket on it. I'm going to zoom it up to today. I'm getting out of the past right now, and I'm here today. How many information systems are there in our world today? How many information systems are telling us how we came to be? How many information systems are telling us there's no such thing as sin? How many information systems are telling us we don't need to be worried about anything these stupid Christians are worried about? How many of those systems do you suppose there are in the world? How often do you think you're around it? Do you think that, you're, that maybe you're ever influenced by any of it at all? Every time somebody says, well, this thing here was 44 million years ago, do you ever stop to say, how do you know that? Where did you get that number? How did you figure that out? Or do you just say, oh, 44 million years ago. Okay, that's cool. You, you see where I'm coming from? How many information systems do you suppose there are? All I really want to try to do, folks, and I, I hope you see the same with all our teachers, that I want to recover the truth. I want to be able to bring back the truth. It's, I'm, I'm just a trained evolutionary bio, biologist. When, when I really saw what happened at creation, I began to see the explanations, discussions with Henry Morris. That's years ago. You guys have maybe never heard of Henry Morris. I don't know. And beginning to see there is another explanation for this. When I came out of that, guys, I was furious. I realized I had been lied to for 22 years of my life a steady flow of misinformation, of disinformation, of things that were not true. Grateful to the God who opened my heart to see this is how it really happened. Do you see why he's going to put it in their hearts? He's going to put that instruction in their hearts so that they're not saying, is there a book on that? It's already there. They already know it, Okay. It's the first five books of the Bible, Moses as the writer. It is God making himself known to all. God wants to be known. Number three, in this instruction is contained the terms of the covenant of God made with Israel about living in the land. He promised them, but the Torah isn't only covenant. The Torah is instruction. It contains the covenant. Yes, it does, but it's only in, it's, it's instruction. It is a covenant uh, let me be sure it's in, its instruction is contained. Okay, number four. It is a covenant for living in that promised land. Keeping that covenant allowed them to live productively in that land. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 4, just a moment. Deuteronomy 4. And this is repeated several times, so I'll, I'll just use Deuteronomy 4 as the one illustration of it today. Well, there it is. He says in Deuteronomy 4.1, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, 
that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Uh, you, you saw what I did at, at the other places there and so forth. Um, let me pick up with you to Deuteronomy 8 just for a moment. Deuteronomy 8, just a few pages over. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. Why is he given it? So you could live in that land. This is how you live in the land. This is the rules of the land. All right? That's their covenant. They're going to break that covenant. All right? But that, that was the covenant. Number five, it was not made to save anyone or to justify anyone before God. Salvation is always by grace through faith in what God has revealed. It is the gift of God. It is human to human, human to God agreement for a wholesome life. In other words, this telling me this is how you get along with your neighbors, and this is how you get along with God. So that covenant was instruction in those two things. While you're living in the land, while you're a Jewish person. Everybody with me on, on that? All right, now we go on for a couple more things here. So if one did the things contained in the law by faith, his faith would justify him, and his obedience would sanctify him. Together, they would glorify God. But if he did the same work of the law by constraint or obligation or necessity, he's unjustified, unsanctified, and God is not glorified by it. Everybody follow where I'm at on that? It was, not, it was made with Israel and their descendants, not the nations around them. The nations were only obligated to live by its directives when in the land of Israel. So if you're going to go to the land of Israel, you're going to live by the rules of Israel. And their, their rules are found. In other words, you're going to come in to visit in this land, just count on resting on the Sabbath, friend, because you're not doing anything here. If you're going to uh, be there at the time of Passover, you're going to have to be involved with the Passover, and you have to do it just like we do it. Israel broke the covenant with him, number seven. He completed it with the life and death of Jesus the Christ, as I explained earlier. The former covenant is finished, and God is bringing a new covenant with the houses of Israel when he brings them to the land. That land and that covenant are given to them by the resurrection of Christ, where the death finished the old covenant, the resurrection starts the new covenant. The new covenant is not with the nations, and it's not with the church. The new covenant includes Torah instruction. All right. now, brothers and sisters, I hope that you, you understand where, how important this really is. Because Israel is still outside of their new covenant. But when they get back to that land, they're going to be inside that new covenant. It's going to be a wonderful time for them and a wonderful time for the world. That's where your blessing rests, kids. That's why, if I can set this, the platform up here as this is the beginning of the tribulation, this is the end of the tribulation over here, as we've said, in the beginning of that tribulation, something has happened that Israel is turning to the Lord. And 144,000 evangelists are sharing with them who the Lord is. Something happened that turned them to the Lord. Something happened that they were able to know the Lord. And I want to try to share with you what Ezekiel says was right here. Before that happened, that caused them to turn to the Lord because he gives us that information. Fair enough? All right. Now, here's the deal. Today, 
is a great day to be born again. Today is a wonderful day to, to know the Savior Jesus Christ because here's what we're telling you. Jesus is the Christ, not only the Savior from 2,000 years ago, but he's Lord, and he is coming back again to judge his created world. He knit you in the womb of your mothers, and he was the agency by which all this has been made around you. And he's the only one who could properly redeem this world that belongs to him. You're living in his land. And he's coming back to judge his land and all the people in it, all its residents. He's coming back to judge them for it. But he's, he's given an opportunity for us right now to give to you the gospel, the good news, that you can be saved before that time comes. It's through trusting Jesus Christ being that Messiah, crucified for your sins, and risen again from the dead. It's just that simple, kids. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus is that Christ and he has done what you need. C, confess him as Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior. Father, thank you so much for what you have done for us. Thank you for the way you have worked in us, the way you continue to work in us. Please open our hearts to the truth and teach us how to walk in that truth. And we're going to thank you for it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, right now, we're going to have a baptismal service. We are going to uh, baptize a young lady. We, if, if you are here this morning and you want to follow the Lord and Believer's baptism, um, come on in. we got you a, a robe inside here. We can baptize you right now. You say, well, I didn't, I didn't plan for it. Great. Just do it anyway. All right? Just do it anyway. Get her done. All right? We hope God has encouraged you with today's message by Pastor White. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.